From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And joining me today by phone from Mil- Mulvane, Kansas, is um, Father John Hotsey. Father Hotsey is the Episcopal Delegate of the Cause for Sainthood of Father Emil Capon, who was a uh, U.S. Army chaplain during the Korean War. Father John, thank you so much for talking to me today. Good to be here. Uh, tell us about Father Emil Capon, Father John. Uh, who was he? Uh, how did it come about that uh, he is now under consideration by the Church for canonization? Um, first, let me do kind of a disclaimer because I know I know I'll fall back into pronouncing his name incorrectly. <laughs> His name is pronounced a couple ways, and here in, in Wichita, we usually pronounce it Capon, uh, which, which is the wrong way. Um, the proper pronunciation is Capon, and from my understanding, the difference in the pronunciation is the difference between it being a Czech pronunciation and a German pronunciation. Uh, that the Czech pronunciation of it is Capon, um, and the German pronunciation would be Capon. Um, I understand that the the way the way it started to be mispronounced was back in uh, 1956. There was a, a high school, a Capon Memorial High School, or Cape, Chaplain Capon Memorial High School, dedicated here in in Wichita, and uh, Cardinal Spellman from New York came for that dedication. Well, uh, it's my understanding that Cardinal Spellman mispronounced it, his name, and it stuck. <laughs> so, so the uh, in, in Wichita, you, you hear his name pronounced Capon. Uh, everywhere else, you hear it pronounced Capon. So the, the high school has been named Capon, and uh, I mean that that that's where the the name is most known from in in Wichita is from the the high school. So so if if I if I fall into calling it Capon, you'll, you'll know that I'm talking about the same person. Understood. Um, uh, but um, uh, Father Capon. Um, was was just a, a farm boy from here in Kansas, and uh, it's really been a grassroots effort uh, for him to be canonized. Uh, he was born um, back in in 1916, uh, and grew up during during the press or during the, the depression, as you might understand. Uh, if you know anything about the depression during Kansas, I mean that that was also the Dust Bowl days. Um, I mean, it was a very difficult time uh, for for farmers here in Kansas, uh, and I, I think that led a lot to Father Capon's character. Um, when he was there on the farm um, during that time, as a farmer, you learned to just do with what you had. Uh, I mean, you just made do. I mean, and you didn't have any other options, and and that's what Father Capon did. I mean, he he made do with what he had. Uh, he was kind of um, uh, kind of creative in, in in what he was doing, and he would use use that ability throughout his life. Um, early in his life, he felt that he was called to the priesthood. Uh, growing up, he would ride his bicycle to the church. They lived about four miles away from the town of Pilsen, Kansas, um, it, which uh, uh, which is a, a Czech community. 
um, the church there in Tulsa was named St. John Nepomucene uh, Church, uh, St. John Nepomucene being a, a, a Czech saint. Um, but he would go there, and he would often ride his bike um, like an hour early so that he could serve a mass for Monsignor Sklenar, uh, who was pastor at the time. Um, like I say, growing up, uh, they, they say that he used to, to play mass uh, at, at home. I mean, he would set up a box in their living room and and uh, play mass and, and be the priest. And, and um, he grew up in a family that was, was a, a good Catholic family, um, devoted to the church. And uh, his mother was... Uh, 100% Czech, and his father was half Czech and half German. Uh, the reason I mention that is because in Pilsen, many of the people still spoke Czech. Um, but while growing up, uh, the father Kapon's parents uh, insisted that at home they speak English because they knew that they needed to learn the language, the English language, and so there is no uh, speaking of Czech at home. Uh, but the one language that they did learn at home uh, was German. Um, his grandmother, uh, her, his father's mother, was German, and she only spoke German. And she came to live with the, the Capon family for a while. Uh, so they kind of learned German while they were growing up. But, um, but uh, Father Capon, um, like I say, did, did learn English, or they did speak English. So... Uh, Czech, while well, he did know some Czech, knew fra- phrases in Czech, um, uh, but that wasn't his, his first language. Um, and growing up there um, in Pilsen, like I say, he started to go and he started to, uh, to help out at the church with Monsignor Sklenar. Um The school they had in Pilsen uh, was a three-room schoolhouse. Uh, the first room was grades one through five, and the second was grades six, seven, and eight. And then the third room was a freshman and sophomore in high school. Um, and it was, it was when he was in school, in grade school, that uh, he first kind of showed his character. And he was very good at school. Um, there were a couple times that he was advanced a year as he was studying. Um, but he started to help out um, his fellow students. Uh, when, when I was tasked to start to look into Father Capon's life, um, I also had a couple other full-time jobs being a priest, and I thought, well, my, my, way, my way to get out of this was to find some dirt on Father Capon. <laughs> so I figured if I could find some dirt on him, then I could just say, well, we can't, we can't propose him for sainthood because of this. So, so I would often ask people that knew Father Capon or whatever if, if they knew anything bad about Father Capon. And through all this time, I mean, I never really heard anything bad about Father Capon. And one of the first first people I met was one of his classmates from up in Pilsen. And I asked him about, about how Father Capon was at school. And he said, you know, he said he was very smart, but he said he helped out everybody. And he said that we had three nuns up there at the school. Uh, and he said that Father Capon could pick up on when the students were struggling. And he said he could do that even before the nuns picked up on that. And he said, so when, when he saw people struggling with their homework or with their schoolwork, he said he would just go up to them and he would start to help them. And he said it didn't matter who you, who you were, and he said it wasn't that he would try to lord it over them or anything, but he said 
he would just be there to help, to answer questions, or maybe show you the, the right way to, to be going about doing it or thinking about it. So he said that he helped many of them at, at school, and he said he was, just did it kind of silently and be, behind the scenes. Uh, so he was showing that, that he was a man of service, I mean, even, even as he was growing up. So um, let, let's uh, let's uh, let's fast forward and, and uh, yeah. to, to talk a little bit about how he became a uh, army chaplain. And well, how okay. did he first of all? How did he come to become a priest and then an army chaplain? Well, um, first he he asked his pastor to write a letter to uh, a missionary society um, because at that time that you had to pay the families had to pay tuition at the seminary, and he knew his family wouldn't be able to. So he asked the the pastor to, to write a letter of recommendation to the Columban missionaries. Um, and his pastor asked him why, and he explained to him about the tuition. And he said, well, if I get the tuition paid, will you study for the Diocese of Wichita? And, and he said, yes, that he would. So he studied for Wichita. He studied it in Conception, Missouri. Uh, that's about an hour north of Kansas City. Uh, then he studied in, at Kenrick Seminary in St. Louis. Uh, came back to Wichita and was ordained in, in um, 1940. Um, in 1940, he was assigned back to his home parish in Pilsen. Um, about 10 miles from Pilsen is the Harrington Air Base, uh, and he was also charged with, uh, with helping out um, w- with the sacraments at the Harrington Air Base. Um, so he was, while he was there at the Harrington Air Base, he kind of fell in love with with being of service to the servicemen. And around 1940 to 1942, um, if you think of the history, uh, that was right before we got involved in World War II. Um, So Father Capon was was there at the Harrington Air Base as things were were just starting to to pick up uh, in the military. Um, The war broke out at the end of 1942, um, and the United States uh, got involved with it. Um, as they were doing that, they had put out a call for chaplains or for priests uh, and all ministers to, to consider the chaplaincy. Um, Father Capon asked Bishop Carroll if he might, um, or I, I guess no, Bishop Winkleman at the time, uh, if he might become a chaplain uh, to serve in the Army, uh, and he gave his permission to do so. So uh, he, uh, he enlisted, um, and... During World War II, he served over in the, the India and Burma theater. Um, when he got there, most of the fighting in the area that he was sent uh, was already over. Um, but there are still pockets of resistance. Um, it's my understanding uh, the area that he was at was a, uh, I mean, jungles, and um, they were assigned there, and basically they were there trying to to clean up the pockets of resistance or the, the, the Japanese strongholds that were still there present in the jungles. Um, his, his driver um, uh, for his Jeep uh, told me that, that uh, it got to be kind of a, a running joke about Father Capon. Um, he, said, he said that during that time that when they were going out uh, into the jungle, he said, that their jeep was literally literally shot out from under them on two different occasions. Uh, so he no longer had a jeep, but he got a bicycle. And he said he would ride his bicycle out to the front lines. And he said that they would be there in the camp, and he said 
they would hear gunfire in the distance. And he said Father Capon would jump on his bicycle and ride to where he heard, heard the gunshots. Um, and he said that uh, it got to be a running joke because he said whenever they would hear the firing or the gunshots there at the camp, he said they'd all start to look around and see where Father Capon was and, and how long it took him to start going, going in the direction <laughs> of, of the front line. So his uh, World War II experience ended safely. He came back to the States. Right. How did it come about that he wound up uh, going back into the service uh, during the Korean War? After he got back from World War II, he went and studied at Catholic University and then uh, got a degree in history uh, and in education. Came back to the Diocese of Wichita, and the bishop was kind of using him uh, to fill in at other Czech parishes in the diocese, um, other small towns and stuff. And he was at Timken, Kansas, another Czech community. Uh, And the military kind of put out a call for some chaplains to return. After World War II was over, most of the the chaplains went back to their homes. Um, So they were kind of in dire need of chaplains. Uh, So they sent out a a call, and uh, Father Capon answered that call. Um, He asked Bishop Carroll if he could go back into the military. Uh, Bishop Carroll kind of ignored him for a while, but after about six months, Bishop Carroll finally gave in and told him that he could re-enlist. So he re-enlisted. Um, went from here to Fort Bliss, Texas, uh, in Fort Bliss, Texas. Most of it had been closed down after World War II, so he was there to kind of help reopen sections of the of the the base. Um, then he was sent up into uh, Washington State, and from Washington State, uh, he was sent over to Japan. So, um, le- so let's move forward to the Battle of Unsan on November second, okay. nineteen fifty. What happened? Um, a lot of this knowledge uh, that we have from the Battle of Unsan and Father Capon ultimately being captured um, are things that we've just recently learned or learned through this process of, of his canonization. Um, the United States and the United Nations forces had no idea that the Chinese communists were going to get involved um, in, in the Korean War. Um, I, I believe that um, General MacArthur was told that there were maybe 3,000 troops, uh, Chinese troops in North Korea, uh, so that they would not be that big of a, a threat or would not have to worry about them getting involved. Um, in actuality, there were probably closer to 250,000 Chinese troops in North Korea. Um, they had been in hiding. Um, most of North Korea is mountainous in a forested region, uh, so they are hiding up in the mountains and in the, in the forest. Uh, the moment the United Nations forces passed the 38th parallel, uh, starting to push the, the North Koreans back past into the North Korea, um, the Chinese got involved. Um, from my understanding, they had to make a decision as to whether or not uh, the United Nations forces would go on north of the 38th parallel or whether they should stop, Um, the 38th parallel being the border between North and South Korea. Um, They decided to go on and push forth at least uh, for at least another 10 miles or so so that they could form a buffer zone between North Korea and South Korea 
so the South Koreans would not have to worry about being invaded again. Uh, well, this is around the time that the Battle of Unsan took place, uh, like you say, starting in November 1st, November 2nd. Um, uh, Father Capon's troop, or Father Capon's uh, unit, uh, had gone further north, um, and uh, like I say, unbeknownst to them, the Chinese were already there in force, hiding up in the mountains. Uh, so these units, these units of, of soldiers from the United States and other United Nations countries would go forth or would go north into North Korea, um, and then all of a sudden they would just be surrounded, uh, surrounded by both the Chinese communists and the North Koreans, which is exactly what happened to Father Capon's unit. So his unit um, was captured. Right, exactly. So what happened and, then? Well, um, the... The commanding officers put out word to his unit that, that everybody should retreat, that they should make it back past their, their own lines uh, for their own safety. Um, Father Capon did not go. He wanted to stay with the wounded. Um, and much, much of uh, what happened, um, they said probably happened because the North Koreans and Chinese didn't know what to do with Father Capon. Um, they said here they had this chaplain who was going out onto the battlefield and that he would literally go up to the North Koreans and Chinese and just push them out of the way so that he could get to the wounded and, and take the wounded back to safety. Uh, so they said they figured the North Koreans and Chinese didn't know what to do with this unarmed man that was coming up with two people with rifles and just pushing them out of the way. Um, well, he had kind of commandeered a, a foxhole that he was bringing the wounded to. And it was uh, kind of a crescent-shaped foxhole. Um, and he was bringing the wounded and putting them one in one end of this foxhole. Um, and some Chinese and, and North Koreans saw what he was doing. So they started to try to throw grenades into the foxhole. Well, they could reach the other side of the foxhole that was on the other side of the crescent. So it wasn't a direct threat to the wounded, but Father Capon knew that they were going to continue to get closer, and he knew that they were going to die if something wasn't done. Uh, well, one of the one of the wounded men in the foxhole was a Chinese officer, and so Father Capon um, talked to this Chinese officer, and he arranged for them to surrender so that they would not be killed uh, there in the foxhole. Um, so they surrendered, and that would have been on November second of. 1950. Um, and from there, they were going to march them to a place. Uh, it was called Simbakal Valley. Um, the prisoners that were taken there, uh, it was a, a valley outside of this small town called Simbakal. Um, and it was a, a valley between two mountains, about a four mile valley. And those that were in that valley or taken to that valley um, renamed the valley. I mean, there are those that named it Capon's Valley, and there are also those that named it Death Valley. And the difference was for the front two miles of this valley, that was the area that Father Capon was able to get to. And he would go around and make sure that, that men were taken care of, uh, that they were helping each other, and that the wounded were, were taken care of. Well, the back, to, back half of the valley, the last two miles, were sections in which Father Capon was never able to get to. The, the back two miles of the valley, the people, the men in that part called it the Death Valley because there's so many people that died uh, because there was nobody, nobody to organize their care or, or the, the care of the wounded.
Um, so it was a very distinct difference between the front and the back part of the valley. And uh, so this, this, tell us about his experiences and his interaction with his fellow prisoners of war. Uh, well, th- through this whole time, um, this Simbok Hall Valley was only a holding place. And they marched the prisoners of war further north to the prison camps. Um, one of the men that told me about a story about uh, Father Capon going to the north uh, was a man named Dr. Sidney Essenston. Um, Dr. Essenston was, was a doctor, and he was in Father Capon's group that was marched to the north. Uh, they would put them in in groups of 200 or so uh, to march them to the, the prison camps in the north. Uh, they didn't want the, the United Nations forces or the, the United States <clears throat> excuse me, to know that they had these prisoners, so they would only allow them to march at night. And um, temperatures at that time would get down to between uh, 30 and 40 below zero. Um, the winds from that area would just come directly off of Siberia down the, the Korean Peninsula. Um, and Dr. Essenson said that if, if somebody fell by the wayside, he said they were dead within a half hour. He said they would just freeze to death. And he said, Joe, you have these lines of men who were either wounded or, or incapable of really doing things and being marched further north. Um, and he said when they got up to the prison camps, he said that when he talked to other people that were in different units uh, going to the north, he said it wasn't unusual for them to lose uh, 20, 30, even 50 people uh, on that walk to the north because they fell by the wayside and just froze. And uh, Father Capon was among those making this march. Right, right. There are stories that he picked up and carried uh, at least one of his fellow soldiers. That's what Dr. Essenson said. Dr. Essenson said that he he would go up and down the line, um, and he said that he would make sure that if somebody was there faltering or if somebody was, was not doing well, that they had somebody else there to help them. And he said that the amazing thing about Father Capon was that the men couldn't refuse him. And he said the reason he couldn't, they couldn't refuse him is because he was asking them to help these other men. And he said this whole time, Father Capon was carrying another man on his back. So he said, how could they refuse Father Capon when he was doing what he was, what he was asking them to do? So once they, said, they go ahead, I'm sorry to interrupt well, you. I, I said because of that, Dr. Essenson said they, they only lost about nine men on that trek to the north, while other people, other other groups were, were losing tens, uh, uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 more people. Uh, but he said it was because they didn't have a Father Tapin in their group. Wow. So uh, describe the situation once they reached the prisoner of war camp and the months they spent there before Father Capon died the following okay. year. Um, the prison camp is, is like you might expect. I mean, the, there are, are, are horrific stories of, of the conditions at the prison of war camp. Uh, the men immediately started to get dysentery. Um, with dysentery, you suffered from diarrhea. You suffered from being nauseous. Um, you would, I mean, be incapable of, of helping yourself because you would get so dehydrated. Uh, Father Capon immediately started helping out. I mean, he would take care of the men. He would change their clothes. He would make sure they had clean clothes. He would change their bandages. He would do whatever he could uh, to get them food. Um, the relations at the prison of war camp, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, 
the, they were given 450 grams of millet. Millet is, if you've seen birdseed, millet is that little round seed in, in that they have in birdseed. And um, 450 grams is about what you could fill a, a little sandwich bag with. Um, so that was all the food they gave. Um, so Father Capon uh, would oftentimes find himself kind of breaking out of their compound and going to look for and trying to see if he could dig up food there in the, the prison camp, uh, finding rice, finding whatever, whatever type of food that he could to bring back uh, to, to the prisoners. Um, so he took care of them both, both uh, with the food. Other thing is he took care of them spiritually. I mean, he would, he would always ask uh, people to pray, um, ask them if they would like to pray. Or, or, and it didn't matter uh, what denomination they were. Um, one man, one of the POWs said it didn't matter if, if they were Protestant. He said it didn't matter if they were atheist. It didn't matter if they were Muslim. He said everybody wanted to pray with Father Capon. So we're talking the winter of 1950-51. Right. With temperatures dipping down to 30 to 40 degrees below right. zero exactly. in North Korea. From, uh, from what they say in the history books, that this would have been the, the coldest winter, like for the past 150 years. Wow. I'm talking to Father John Hotze, the Episcopal delegate for the cause for Father Emil Capon. Uh, so, Father Hotze, uh, how did Father Capon die? Um, Father Capon got, got sick himself. I mean, first he suffered from, uh, well, uh, he had a blood clot in his leg. Um, and there's kind of conflicting stories about how, how his leg got injured so that he might have a blood clot. But that's kind of beside the, the, the point. Um, he came to, to Dr. Essenston um, with his leg when it was, got so bad that he could barely walk on it. And Dr. Essenston said that the, the bottom half of his leg, he said, had swollen to easily twice its size, and he said it was just totally black. Um, so he said he forced him to lay down on his back, and he said they did a little trapeze to elevate his leg. Um, well, he said that they that he was able to get over that or start to get over from that. And he said when he started to get better, he allowed Father Capon to, to get up and kind of walk around and to, to minister to other people, which is what he wanted to do. Um, and uh, so he said when, when he started to do that, um, he was quite emotional. And he told me, he said that he thinks that him allowing Father Capon to do that led to his death. And he said that he feels so bad about it letting father capon do it and he said but but he said once he started to let him get up he said father capon wouldn't go back down can you he recount the had to minister uh, can, can recount the circumstances surrounding his actual death how did that happen okay um uh with his actual death uh, he, he had been sick uh uh after he got over his, his leg uh, problems he got uh, dysentery he got pneumonia uh, and that's when the, the North Koreans found out about it. And they took him away to what they called the hospital, what the prisoners called their death house, or the death house, because nobody, nobody that went there was able to make it out alive. Um, the death house itself was just a bombed-out pagoda, and the men were put in there, put on the floor, and left to die. Um, that's where Father Capon was taken. Um, 
prior to that, Father Capon, I mean, the day they took him away, Father Capon had showed signs of improvement. Uh, his fellow POWs at first started to fight the, the, the guards as they came to take him away. Um, Father Capon was able to speak up and tell him to stop, um, that they shouldn't fight uh, for him. And so they started to take him away. As they were taking him away, he gave the men instructions. Uh, there was one, a man named Ralph Nardella, uh, and he told Ralph, he said, Ralph, you know the prayers. He said, you make sure the men keep praying. Um, uh, to another man, he told him that, that he needed to go home, or when he got home, that he needed to take care of his marriage, and that if he, did, he didn't even take care of his marriage, he was going to come back and, and kick him in the butt. <laughs> um, and then, then uh, to another one, uh, a close friend of his, he said, Mike, he said, don't, don't cry for me. He said, I'm going to where I've always wanted to go. And he said, when I get there, I'll be praying for you. So, Father John Hotze, what happened then? He died. What happened to the, his fellow prisoners of war after that? Um, when, when you look at it and you see the, the Korean War, he was captured relatively early in the Korean War, um, and he was in the prison camp for six to seven months uh, before he passed away. Um, the Korean War lasted another two and a half years. Um, so you hear of these POWs uh, that were still in the prison camp, uh, his fellow POWs. And one of the amazing parts about Father Capon is that he affected these men in such a way um, that two and a half years later, after they had endured all this stuff in the POW camps, the first thing they did when they got out of the prison of war camps was start to tell stories about Father Capon. Um, they went to the military, told the military, we're asking that, that Father Capon get the recognition that he deserves. Um, many of them petitioned the Catholic Church even back in 1953 at the end of the, of the, the Korean War, uh, started talking to the Catholic Church about him being named a saint or that he was truly a saint. Um, so he, he had that effect on those men. And when you, when you think of, of the hope that he must have instilled in, in men, <clears throat> all of the men that I've talked to, all of the POWs, have said that if it had not been for Father Capon, they would not have made it out alive. Now, we hear stories that when they did finally uh, get freed, they came out of that POW camp carrying a cross right? Uh, that had been carved by one of the uh, uh, prisoners uh, in memory right. of uh, Father Capon or Father Capon. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. The, the, the cross was carved by a, a man named uh, Jerry Fink, uh, who was a, a Jewish man. And actually, he never saw Father Capon. Um, he was captured after Father Capon had died. And he started hearing stories of Father Capon. And one of the things that he did um, was carve things. And <coughs> excuse me, um, he was there carving. Actually, he, was carving, he said he was carving a, a stethoscope. Uh, for one of the doctors, and he said some other men approached him and asked them if, if they, he would uh, work on carving this crucifix um, in memory of Father Capon. And so he started asking him about Father Capon, and they told him the story, and uh, the story of Father Capon, so he started doing just that, carving this cross. Um, and <laughs> what an interesting story that most people haven't heard. So they, of course, he would have been 
severely reprimanded or, or uh, uh, punished if he had been seen by the guards carving this cross. So he was doing all of this in, in secret. Well, he was found out by one of the guards, and for some reason, the North Koreans had this fascination with Abraham Lincoln. And so when he was captured, or when they found out he was carving this crucifix, he told them that he was just carving a statue of Father K- of, of Abraham Lincoln. So they let him continue. <laughs> <laughs> so so well, he, was, he was there uh, carving this crucifix, or Abraham Lincoln, depending on what <laughs> you, you, wanted, you wanted to, to believe. Um, well, well but, go ahead. Don't, don't let me so interrupt. They, 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 uh, uh, he, he carved this crucifix, and after he was done, uh, they said the likeness of the corpus um, on the crucifix, um, and they, they asked him, well, well how, how, how would you know how to carve a picture of Christ since you're a Jew, Jewish man? And, I mean, not, not really familiar with the crucifixion and everything like that. And, and he said to him, he said, well, that's not Christ. He said, that's Father Capon. Ooh. And that, hmm. that's what he had done with the, for the corpus, is he had asked people to describe Father Capon to him. And so he said, that's my image of Father Capon. Well, Father John Hodgson, let me share with you a personal story. I was uh, privileged to be at the White House in 2013 when uh, Father Capon or Father Capon was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. And uh, then President Obama gave an eloquent account of uh, Father Capon or Father Capon's life. Uh, it, it was it was quite an event. Were you there? Yeah, um, so anyhow, where let, let's move forward to the present now. Where does the cause for Father Capon stand? Um, right, right now, we're, we have all of our, our documents and stuff over in Rome. Um, this is involved with the COVID virus. Uh, they were scheduled to have a meeting to discuss Father Capon's cause the day after everything was closed down in, in Italy because of the COVID virus. Um, so they never made had that meeting. Um, so the Congregation for Saints has reopened, uh, but it's my understanding that they have yet to have a public meeting. And I've been told that they need to have this first public meeting um, because it, they're required or they need to have a, a public opportunity for people to come up and speak either for or against Father Capon's canonization. Um, so we are waiting for that to happen. Uh, we are hoping that when that happens that they approve him for being or recommend him for being given the name Venerable. Um, we have two or three alleged miracles um, that are worthy of investigation. Uh, we have won all the paperwork for one of those alleged miracles over in Rome, um, but they won't start work on that until he's given that title of venerable. And um, after, or, assuming that he does acquire the title of venerable, what then? Well, after, after he gets the title of venerable is when they'll start to investigate uh, one of the miracles. And after, if that a miracle is approved, then he would be beatified and given the title of blessed. 
And, and he, then after that date, we had wait for one more miracle uh, for to be attributed to him, uh, for him to be canonized as saint. So we're looking at months, maybe even years down the road before we have a final yeah, decision. Um, I've, <laughs> I'm kind of counting on, on Pope Francis looking at the paperwork and and Pope Francis saying, guys, this is a no-brainer, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that's kind of what I'm counting on, but we'll, we'll, we'll see if that happens. <laughs> well, well, very good. I will remember uh, Father Cape and Father Capon in uh, my prayers. And uh, Father John Hotze of the Diocese of Wichita, Kansas, the Episcopal Delegate for the cause of Father Emil Capon or Capon, depending on where you're from, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Father Hotsey, thank you so much for talking to me today. If, and if I can say one more thing. Yes, sir. I, I do encourage people to pray not only for Father Capon's cause, but also pray for Father Capon for his intercession. I mean, we, we literally have tens, if not hundreds, of people that talk to us about favors they believe are granted. I mean, anywhere from help with their employment or help getting a job, uh, to financial things, to medical healings. I mean, we we have many, many times, or many, the great majority of these would never be proved as miracles, but people talking about about their loved ones, I mean, having a happy death because of their prayers or intercessions for Father Capon. So I encourage people to do it just, just for their own benefit. Thank you so much, Father John Hotze, Episcopal Delegate for the cause of Father Emil Capon. Thank you for having me.